I want to uh, mention, as we're talking about this series, you all got the bulletin on the way in. We called it The Great Relationship Killer. And, of course, we're talking about shame. Um, why, why, Pastor, why do we want to talk about this and why do we want to spend the next six or eight weeks on something like that? Let me tell you why. Our vision here is to grow people and, and then to multiply what's on, on the inside, right, so that we can release it out to other people. If you are a human being and you're breathing today, you have something in common with the person next to you. It's called shame. Uh, that's what happens in this world. We get, we get, sh- we do shameful things, and we have shameful things done to us, and we live under a blanket of shame. And many times, even the most free among us are enjoying our freedom, not realizing that there's still vast areas of our personality and our heart that has been impacted by shame. Can I get an amen on that? Everybody know what I'm talking about. And here's here's the problem: the shame will keep you from growing. Because what shame likes to do is isolate you and keep you in a closet because you don't want to come out, you can't tell anybody, and the shame will, will uh, short-circuit what God's trying to do in you and through you. It also messes up our relationships because some of the most critical people in the world and most judgmental people in the world, if you really get to the root of why they're so critical and why they're so judgmental, let me just tell you why. It's because the shame, unresolved shame, that they're still dealing with. Because I found that people that all they have time to do is criticize other people, the reason they do that is because they're hiding from their own garbage. Now, some of you, stay with me to the end here, all right? Don't anybody leave because I make you mad, all right? Stay with me. It's going to be good. So how many of you believe that God wants to completely transform us as he's doing Drew? Could you imagine living with about 60 balls you got in the air all the time? What a great illustration of people trying to juggle all the shame and brokenness and pain in their lives. And isn't it great when the Lord just reaches up and starts taking one away and then taking another one away, taking another one away. And in this journey, those big bowling balls, the cannonballs that weigh so much, those are the ones he really likes to take away because those are hurting you the most. But here's the problem. Most church cultures are cancel cultures. And what I mean by that is the last place you would ever want to be honest with the fact that you got some stuff is at church. Because what are those folks going to think about us? What is the pastor going to think about us? And, you know, one of my greatest moments as a dad was when one of my daughters came back from the encounter weekend. Some of you have heard this before, but I said to her, how was the encounter? She said, oh, it was amazing. But then she said this, I never realized how messed up all of our leaders were. <laughs> now, can I just tell you, at most, in most religious environments, you would never hear that in a million years because your leaders are all supposed to be perfect. And if your leaders have a chink in their armor or they actually act in a way that's human or they're still being attacked with shame or they're still getting healed themselves, they're unfit to lead you and they're canceled. Can I just tell you at our church, you can't be a leader unless you've admitted that you're broken and unless you walk with a limp and unless you've brought your bowling balls and other assorted juggling items to the cross. And I'll just say this, I don't trust a man who can't be transparent. Because if, if you've been at this church for any length of time and you got it all together and you're like, hey, praise the Lord, brother, praise the Lord. Those are the guys I'm most scared about. <laughs> praise the Lord, brother. Those guys are phony baloney. 
Yeah, praise the Lord, brother. Hallelujah. And all that stuff too. But you know what? At the end of the day, how are you? Praise the Lord. I'm this or that, and they make a claim from the Bible. I get all that, but you're a human being, and you're living in a broken world, and I guarantee you, you've gone through stuff, so why don't we just talk about it and quit getting the whitewash out and covering everything up? So can I just tell you, wouldn't it be great that there's a place on planet Earth that's a safe place? There's a place on planet Earth where you could not only quit juggling the balls, but say, hey, let's, let's identify what this one is and name it. Name it. Hey, I got this ball I'm juggling. Can somebody around here help me with this? And some of you go, yeah, I dealt with that same ball a few times in my life. And we have a prayer meeting and you have people around you that love you and help you get set free. Because let me just tell you something. The only way you get set free from shame is in community. Because we all go before the Lord and we say, Lord, I'm so ashamed of this. And Lord, I fell again. And Lord, I'm dealing with this sin. And Lord, please forgive me. And I mean, you know, he does. But the way you get most deeply healed is when you're able to deal with your pride and your insecurity and you're able to come before your brothers and sisters and you're able to say, you know what, I, I'm broken in this area. You know, I remember my first encounter as a pastor. And I remember going up to one of my brothers here at this church. And I remember sharing something I'd never shared with anybody that was something shameful from my past as a child. You know what? Everything you keep in the dark, the devil uses against you. But when you, and here's the height of deception. We will tell our dirty laundry to Jesus, don't we? But we sure have a hard time being honest with our brothers and sisters who are equally flawed. And it's a deception that we can go to God Almighty who is perfectly holy uh, and righteous and not be able to come to a brother or sister who's just like us, broken and in need of a Savior, and be able to be honest with them. And you know, the beautiful thing is when you're honest, you know, I love the way Drew could stand up at this point in his life and say, you know what, I tried to take my own life. You know, that's not something most people go around telling other people. And how the devil tells them, you're a failure, you can't even kill yourself, you're a loser. You know, that, that's the voice of shame. And when you live under, I'm a loser, and you can't do anything right, including kill yourself, when you live under that voice for a long time, it absolutely immobilizes you, and it kills the growth that God's trying to accomplish. So you know what? we got encounters coming up, and can I just tell you this? What you're going to hear at an encounter is not a bunch of religious stuff. People say, well, you know that men's encounter, is that like a, like a men's retreat? No, it's nothing like a men's retreat. It's nothing like, trust me, you've ever been to. We don't have pancakes and, you know... Praise the Lord, brothers, and high fives. and all, you know, No, we actually get real with the crap in our lives. Imagine that. We bring it to the cross. We start getting healed as men. And you know what? We do the same thing as women. And you know the people that are up there telling their story are people who have walked through brokenness and come out on the other side, and they don't glory in their shame. They glory in the cross, and they glory in what Jesus has done to set them free. But can I just tell you something? There's not ever one person that's ever shown up at our encounter that isn't broken and in desperate need of healing because they're human. And I can't say this enough about our, our church. We believe you're human, which means we already know your stuff. We don't know the details, but I'll give you the headlines. You're messed up. <laughs> and the most religious among us are the most messed up because they won't even admit that they are. 
So let's just be real. And why are we going to spend the next few weeks here in this area? Because listen, I believe God's looking for a place on planet Earth called the church where people are going to be flocking to the church. Because guess what? In case you haven't figured it out, what's going on outside in our culture is broken and it's getting more broken and more twisted and more sad and more painful all the time. And the church is supposed to be a beacon. Like the, the way we love each other should be so attractional to people. They're like, how do I sign up to be a part of that club? How do, life group, yeah, I need a life, where can I get in a great life group, how can I experience, in fact, some of the very first encounters we ever, ever had, our leadership team was up front, and I remember one man running up to me and saying, I want to be a part of this team, what he meant by that is, I want to be a part of a group of men who are committed to loving and seeing other men healed and set free, and I see the way you love each other, and I see the fun that you're having, and I see the power and presence of God here, how do I get to be a part of that? That's the message of the church, and that's the greatest marketing strategy we could ever have. I want you to turn in your Bible this morning to 2 Samuel chapter 13. This is one of those passages that reminds me that human beings did not write the Bible because we would have not put this in the Bible. It's too raw. It's too painful. It's too graphic. There's too much associated with it. We would sanitize passages like this and not for Sunday morning. But it's in the Bible, and it's in the Bible for a reason. The background of this story needs to be shared, because I'm not going to read the whole chapter. We're going to start in verse 10. But Amnon is a son of David, and he is a half-brother to a beautiful daughter of David's named Tamar. Amnon has a lust problem, like many men in our culture today. We're surrounded by lust. We're surrounded by sensuality. We don't have to try to even go after it. It goes after us. It shows up all different places and advertisements. It's everywhere. Amnon was a victim in the grasp of a spirit of lust. In fact, he noticed Tamar, his half-sister. He noticed how beautiful she was, and he lusted after her. He wanted her. He desired her. The only problem was that was not legit. It was wicked. It was forbidden by the Lord, obviously as is a relative, and it was forbidden by the Lord, and then he has no relationship with her. He's not married to this woman. And yet he is burning with lust for her, and in his mind he is tormented because he's thinking, how in the world can I create a scenario where I can basically take advantage of this young lady? And he comes up with a twisted plan, and the twisted plan is he's going to pretend like he's sick. He's going to ask Daddy, King David, if, if Dad would send Tamar, his half-sister, over to cook some food and over to care for him because the poor baby's not feeling good. Of course, this was all a ruse. This was all a, a lie, and there was a trap that was set for this poor young girl. And we get to the setting of the trap in verse 10. Then he said to Tamar, Now bring the food into my bedroom and feed it to me here. So Tamar took his favorite dish to him. But as she was feeding him, he grabbed her. And demanded, come to bed with me, my darling sister. No, my brother, she cried, don't be foolish. Don't do this to me. Such wicked things are not done in Israel. Where could I go in my shame? And you would be called one of the greatest fools in Israel. Please just speak to the king about it, and he will let you marry me. But Amnon wouldn't listen to her, and since he was stronger than she was, he raped her. Then suddenly, Amnon's love turned to hate, and he hated her even more than he had loved her. 
Get out of here, he snarled at her. No, no, cried, Tamar cried. Sending me away now is worse than what you've already done to me. But Amnon wouldn't listen to her. He shouted for his servant. He demanded, throw this woman out and lock the door behind her. So the servant put her out and he locked the door behind her. And she was wearing a long and beautiful robe, as was the custom in those days for the king's virgin daughters. But now Tamar tore her robe and she put ashes on her head. And look at this picture here. She buries her face in her hands and she goes away crying. Her brother Absalom saw her and asked, Is it true that Amnon has been with you? Well, my sister, keep quiet for now since he's your brother. But don't you worry about it. You all know the story. Absalom went on to murder his brother a couple chapters later. He waited two years to do it, but he set a trap. And because David did not deal with his son's sin, and because he was passive about it, and because he did not deal with his daughter in the way that she had been ravaged, he set up a scenario because of his passivity where his other son murdered uh, Amnon. Now, how many of you know things happen for a reason? When you look at this chapter and you go to the chapter before, you read one of the biggest blemishes on David's life as a man of God. He was supposed to be out at war. Instead, he was on the balcony. His eyes were drawn to a beautiful woman who was bathing. He fell into lust, and he used his power as king to basically have her husband, who was his faithful servant, Uriah, murdered by the enemy. Uh, And then he took her into his his kingdom and, uh, and slept with her. And you all know the story. The prophet Nathan was sent by the Holy Spirit. He tells this amazing story about a man that had a little lamb, only one little lamb. And he tells this incredible heart, heart gushing story. And when he gets to the end, David is furious. He said, that man's life should be taken. I mean, you know, that's a bit strong for simply a story about a lamb. But when you have a guilty conscience before God, one of the signs of a guilty conscience is anger. In fact, let me just say this to any men or women that are here today, especially to the men. If you wonder why there's still rage that erupts in you, I'd like to suggest that the reason for your rage and the reason for, your, for, for the eruption of that rage is because you have unresolved guilt and shame that you're still carrying. You still have the balls that you're juggling in your life. And you're so quick to judge others. You're so quick to release anger towards others. But the real problem is you've got shame over you. And until you deal with the shame, you're not going to deal with the anger. And so Nathan tells the story. David's furious. And then Nathan points to him and says, you're the man. And he says, from this time forward, the sword will not leave your house. Your own, ki- your own children are going to live in rebellion against you. And he goes on to prophesy about what's going to happen to David's kingdom. So we're not one chapter away from that prophecy from a man of God. And here's what, here's what Nathan said, speaking on the Lord's behalf. You have despised the word of the Lord. I mean, you know, God cares about his word, and he cares about us knowing his word, and he cares about us obeying his word. And to not, to to, to basically live a life of disobedience, even though you know what the Bible says is true, is to despise the word of the Lord, and hear me, it is to open up your family to the attacks of the enemy. How many of you know God has an incredible story for your life that he's writing? I don't believe that God allowed any of us to be conceived in our mother's womb without knowing in advance the dreams and desires he has for you. And how many of you know those dreams and desires are good dreams and desires? 
He's wanting you to know Him. He's wanting you to enjoy Him. He's wanting you to live the fullness of life that He promises in John 10, 10, and in other places. God's plan for our lives is amazing. And He literally, we sing that song about uh, the Lord writing our story. I love that song. He holds it all together. And every time we sing that, I just want to make sure I haven't taken the pen out of God's hand. I want to make sure that pen is firmly in his hand and that, he, that, that my life is an expression of the dreams in the heart of God. How about you? You all into that? But how many of you know, as, as committed as God is to writing an amazing story for your life, Satan is equally committing to hijacking that story. And I just want to shake us all out of passivity this morning because when life is good and we're all happy and we're going to church and going out to eat at maybe afterwards and life is good and all that kind of stuff, it's very easy to get passive about your faith. Can I just remind you all, you have an enemy who hates your guts and at this very moment is trying to take the pen out of God's hand and write his own version of your story and it doesn't have a happy ending. It is filled with pain and destruction and heartache and shame and guilt, and he's trying to hijack your life. And sometimes this happens when we're children. Uh, Maybe you can relate to Tamar this morning, and I know this is a sensitive issue, but I know in a culture like ours that that is obsessed with sex, everywhere obsessed with sex, the massive idol, in fact, most of policy in our culture today is driven by some form of perversion sexually. So I know when I'm speaking to this many people, or speaking to people online, or people in our overflow room, there are some of you that can relate to Tamar, because things happened to you when you were little, you had nothing to do with, you had no say about it, but it was the devil hijacking your story, or at least attempting to hijack your story. And I got news for you, there's redemption and healing in Jesus for the worst scenarios that have happened to any of us. Or the worst things that we've ever done to any other person, there's forgiveness and healing and breakthrough and restoration. But the devil does have a method, and that method that he uses, I believe, is one of his chief weapons to isolate us from each other and to isolate us from the Father, is shame. Shame, of course, is a byproduct of sin. If there were no sin in the world, we'd have nobody ashamed of anything. We'd be living in perfect joy and peace. But there's sin in the world. It goes all the way back to, of course, Adam and Eve. From the moment they rebelled against God, sin entered, guilt entered, and shame entered, and we've been dealing with that mess forever, ever since. Many of us in this room, in fact, all of us in this room, as if we're human, we've personally tasted this bitter fruit called shame. Shame is a demonic weapon. It's used to corrupt our relationship with God and our our relationships with each other. That's why I call it the great relationship killer. It assaults your identity as a son or daughter of the Most High God, made in the image and likeness of God. And as I said, the purpose of shame is to twist your story and to make it turn out far different than what God had in mind. Let's take a look at Tamar. Her story was violently hijacked by the enemy. She's an innocent victim of her brother's lust and sin. She's an honored daughter of the king. In fact, it says she was wearing beautiful garments that testified to the fact that, number one, she was a virgin, and number two, she was a daughter of the king. In fact, the language that's used in this passage is only used one other place in Scripture. It's used to describe Joseph's coat of many colors. How many of you know that coat of many colors was was given to Joseph as a sign of honor and as a sign of his father's affection? I want you to see here a beautiful daughter of the king wearing a robe that has been provided for her that's a demonstration and a picture of her father's love and affection for her. She's a beautiful young lady. In fact, it says that in one of the first verses of chapter uh, 13 here. She, She was a beautiful woman. 
She stridently resists her brother's advances. She says, no, no, no. She's pushing back. She's, she's resisting what he's trying to do. She reminds him that his actions are evil. They're wicked. In fact, she says wicked things like this should not be found in Israel. Now, can I just tell you, we have a membership process here at Living Stones. And what does membership or partnership mean? It means you're choosing to identify with God's people on planet Earth. In other words, how many know the church is the visible reflection of the body of Christ on planet Earth? People should come into this context and hear me, should happen just what what Drew happened. You should be undone by the presence of God. There should be a sense that you've stepped into another realm, that we're in a whole different arena. It's like a bubble of the glory of God. And we come into this place and it's different. It's different because we're different. It's different because we're holy. I don't mean we're perfect. I mean we're holy. We're pursuing righteousness, which means we don't tolerate embracing sin. Now, there have been folks that have come here, and after that membership class, they want to become members. But guess what? They're living in sin. Whose job is it to point out that our lifestyles need to line up with the word of God. It's the church's job. It's spiritual leader's job. So we don't send you on a mission trip to preach the gospel when your life is living in open sin against God's commandments. How can I minister Jesus to somebody when my life is in direct opposition to what he teaches? How can I ever see somebody set free from lust when the devil's whispering in my head even while I'm praying? Oh, you phony. You know the compromise in your own life. You know you're not still free from that yourself. How am I supposed to have authority and power, the power of the gospel, when I'm living in overt compromise, blatant sin, and I'm not bringing my lifestyle in alignment with God? And I act, I act like it doesn't matter. So sometimes we tell people, and I praise the Lord, I can point out stories in here of people that instead of getting offended, they received the loving challenge from Scripture to let's do it God's way, because God's way brings the blessing in our lives. We got a wedding here on the front row of where there was sin and brokenness and guilt and shame. But thank God, Roger, you responded by repenting. Thank God you moved back up here. Thank God you went after your wife and you fought for your family. Thank I honor you. Thank God for the courage in your life because you've been restored. And guess what? There's a wedding coming up. There's a wedding coming up. We have the responsibility of mirroring to a lost world what heaven looks like, what God's people look like, what joy looks like, what the power and presence of God looks like, and your life matters. And so we don't treat it like a light thing. We say, come on, time out. Everybody is welcome to come on Sunday morning. Everybody is welcome to come. We receive you as you are. But I promise you, you will not stay the way you are. You cannot stay in the presence of the living God and stay the way that you are. And I just pray that the, the power of God and the anointing of God gets so strong in here that we're on our faces before the Lord, that we're so broken over the sin out there and we're broken over the still, the things God's trying to deal with us in here. 
I want you to feel this poor girl, Tamar's pain. She does every single thing right, and she is wickedly wronged. If we could only see or hear with, with God's ears the cry of people, the cry of women, not only in America but around the nations of the world, who have been sexually mistreated by men. If we could just hear that, it would break our hearts. Man, how many of you know God has not called you to be predators? He's called you to be a protector. And when men are protecting women, when we're loving women in the right way, when we're honoring women, we feel alive. Because that's what God made us to do. I also know this, when you're functioning as a predator and you're selfish and all you care about is your sexual pleasure and you'll do anything to satisfy that, that's when you feel most puny and small, dirty and worthless because you were not called to be a predator. You were called to love and to build up and to protect and to heal and to be honorable. And can I just say that gets harder and harder in American culture today because none of that is modeled at all. In fact, the predators are the ones who are celebrated for their macho manhood, right? The predators. But I think of Tamar's heart, having, a, having a, myself being a father of four girls. Let's take a look at Amnon here. His lust leads to sin, which leads to the transgressing of God's laws. Instantly in this story, and I want you to see the way this works. Instantly, he's gripped by guilt. And I want to separate, make sure we clarify the difference between guilt and shame. Guilt is the state of having done something wrong or having committed an offense. It's, it's that painful feeling on the inside of self-reproach for having done something that we know is immoral and wrong. How many of you have ever been there? Every hand should be up. We've all sinned, have we not? And when you have a healthy conscience, when you sin, you experience guilt. Can I just tell you, guys and gals, make sure you don't press through the feeling of guilt and conviction when God hits you with it, when the Holy Spirit awakens you, because guilt in that regard is your friend. I've heard it said guilt is like the central nervous system in our bodies. When you touch something hot, if you're healthy, your hand immediately flies off, almost without thinking. And in that regard, it's warning you, don't do that ever again. This can harm you. I mean, you know, when you violate your conscience before God and you break the law of God and you break the divine order of God, instantly you should be gripped by guilt. In fact, if you don't have any guilt about doing wicked things, that's a scary place to be. So guilt is a good thing. Guilt says, you know what, like David said, when he was confronted with the prophet Nathan, he said, I have sinned. It's okay to come right out and say, you know what, I blew it. I had a bad week. I was selfish. I, I did wrong. I broke, I broke God's law. I compromised. It's okay to say that because guess what happens when we repent? There's forgiveness and there's healing. And that's a good thing. But unresolved guilt will always lead to shame. And here's the sad part. People that are gripped by shame are driven into isolation. I found that one of the devil's biggest tricks for us is to, he says stuff like this, you can't show up at that church. If, if anybody at that church knew 
what happened to you or what, or what you've been involved in. Can you, uh, I've heard people tell me that the roofs are literally going to open. Our roof was going to be torn open and lightning would come down and strike them if they came into the church. I got news for you. The cross kind of handled all of that. And Jesus isn't shocked by it, and it's not that big of a deal. It's a really big deal because Jesus died for it, but your sin compared to his sacrifice is not a big deal. He already, he's already got it covered. So he wants to heal, and he wants to restore. But you've got to bring it, and you've got to say, like, like David said, I've sinned. Amnon did not say that. Amnon hid from his guilt, and he didn't repent, and it drove him into isolation. And I want you to see this. While guilt focuses on what we've done, our behavior, shame sends a different message because shame sends a message about who we are. Shame will always attack your identity. You know, what you did was wrong, trying to take your own life. You were in a bad place. You're in a wounded place, and the devil was trying to write your story, right? But you recognize that. You had that encounter with the Holy Spirit. You had that encounter with the Lord, his arms reaching out to you. God's wrecking you. But the enemy's message to you when you woke up was, you're a loser. That's the word of shame. Now, I remember my precious son, Joel, is here this morning. Joel, stand up, because you're awesome. I got to honor you. It's my son, Joel. I remember. You didn't know you were going to be a part of my message, but it is good. I'm, I'm just practicing what I preach. We were away at a, at a re-encounter weekend with our leaders. And my son, Joel, shared something with me at that re-encounter. Uh, he said to me, and it, it broke my heart, but I needed my heart broken. He said to me, Dad, I, I always feel like I could never do it right. Like I could never quite get it right. Like I could never achieve the level where I was pleasing to you. Now, that was the first time I ever heard those words, and it blindsided me. How you know we have blind spots? Because in my heart, and I've told this to Joel, and we're good now, but I went up to him, and we both cried, and we embraced, and this is what I said to him. Thank you for sharing that, because that could not be farther from the truth. I love you. I'm proud of you, but my behavior, sometimes it's not the violent behavior. I never, ever told him, I'm not proud of you. You can never do it right, but you know how that gets communicated? Through sighs, through grunts, through frustration, through facial uh, you know, gestures, through ways we communicate, you're frustrating me. You didn't do it right. Now I got to do it. You know, all those things. And how many know when you're a little boy growing up and you see that from a father who's being impatient, you pick up in your spirit that you're not good enough. So I broke the power of all that and said, please forgive me. We hugged. We cried. I, I voiced with my words, I love you. I'm proud of you. I am well pleased with you. And you know what? It helped me realize I don't want to be shaming my kids. Thank you. I love, I love you. you. Mm. And I know you don't want to be shaming your kids. But guess what happens in this fallen, broken world? This, that's how we communicate. And many of you have picked that up. Someone didn't say it with their words, maybe, but they just communicated. You're not enough. You're, you don't have what it takes. And then that shame comes on us again and again and isolates us. So take a look here. God's, or the enemy is attacking Amnon's identity, too. He's angry. He's not repenting. He's living in rejection and shame. And I want you to see what he does here. He begins, first of all, he begin, anger comes out of his heart, and he says, get out of here. 
get out of here. She pleads with her brother, don't send me away. Because how many of you know, the sting of, re- of, of shame is rejection. It says you're not enough. He t- he, instead of being in love, now he hates her guts. And he says, get out of here. He tells them, bolt the door. I mean, these are strong images of you are disgusting to me. And how many of you know there's nothing disgusting about this beautiful girl? What's disgusting is the lust in his own heart that would do this and would treat her this way. So feel the shame he's piling on her by saying, get her out of here. Lock the door behind her. She buries her face in her hands full of shame, weeping, crying as she goes. And the Bible says this, the final result is that Tamar lived as a desolate or devastated woman. Because of what happened to her, she'll never be given in marriage because she's viewed as damaged goods. She's never going to have children. And she's going to live the rest of her days in shame. Now, can we just pause for a moment? Because I'm thinking about precious girls in this place. How would you like the enemy to hijack one of your brother's to do something like that to physically, that physical abuse to where you're left devastated, desolated, and with no hope. Your whole future has been absolutely destroyed because of an act of selfishness. Can I just say, again, this happens all over America every day. We've got police officers out here. They, they get to see up close and personal the ugly effects of sin in our culture every day how people treat one another. My prayer is that as we go on this journey together, we would be able to bring our areas of brokenness and areas of shame to the Lord, and that we'd be able to bring them out into the light. You know, every week after, after we minister, there's people here that are, are waiting for you to come and to pray with you. And let me just tell you, they're, they're our finest. They're, they're people, 100% badge of approval. We believe in them. And here's why I believe in them, because they've, they've practiced the very thing we're asking you to practice. And they've been honest, and they've got to a place of healing. You know, when you're sitting in our marriage class and you hear Jerry and Terry Harvey's story, you know that God can heal stuff. When you come off to an encounter and you hear some of our men do the talk on sexual sin, and you hear some of the, the pain and the hurt and the mess that they've had to walk through, and now they're walking in a state of purity that gives you hope that, you know what, God can do the same for me. And so here's what I'm inviting you all to do. Let's not be religious, and let's not pretend like we haven't been impacted in many, many ways by shame. Let's let the Holy Spirit shine the light on areas in our heart where, you know what, we just need to go, wow, Lord, I've never really addressed that. Can I just say some some of you right now, this is what's going on in your head. I can't wait to get out of here. Can I just tell you that voice that's telling you to get out of here? That's not the Holy Spirit. Or this voice. You ain't never going to share any of that stuff from your past. You think that's the Holy Spirit? Now, how many know you're, you're part of the story, and you're telling your own story between your ears every day? You're part of the story. The issue is, which part of the story, whose side are you on? Are you agreeing with God's part of the story that he's writing through your life, or are you agreeing with your adversary's side of the story? 
whose side of the story are you listening to? But you're telling a story right now. You're processing right now as I'm preaching. You're processing. And the Holy Spirit's trying to engage in that process too because he's the one that shines the light on stuff. So I want to challenge every man in this place to a higher level of manhood and consecration and purity. That we would have a hunger for purity. And that we'd be ruthless with the things that rob us. I would challenge every man in this place to let God break you with the brokenness of his daughters on planet earth and his sons, but especially focusing on this text on the daughters. You know, if you remember, Ivan Tate was here. He started an orphanage down in Guatemala. But he talked about a girl who was sexually trafficked, a little girl, that somehow made her way to that orphanage where she encountered the love of Jesus. And all those voices that said she was dirty or not enough or impure or damaged or whatever got exchanged for the voice of God through God's people. And she went on to set the record in her nation on one of her tests for math or science or whatever. And now she's a leader in her country. When she started off being trafficked like a piece of garbage, and God redeemed her and put her in a position where she's a, a, a leading voice now in their nation. How did that happen? Because of the church. Because of the gospel. How about this? Because there's men that can look at other ladies through the eyes of the father or the father's heart and not with a predator's heart. And so I just want to say this. You know, we take very seriously the culture here at this place. Because if the culture's not healthy, nothing good grows. So my dad used to walk up to guys, if, if you're your first Sunday or you were dating one of our girls, he'd come up to you and he'd elbow you in the ribs and he said, uh, what are you doing with my daughter? And you, don't, you never even met him before. How's that for welcome to living stones? <laughs> but you know what happened? It put the fear of God in people. Because they knew you're not coming to Living Stones to pick up chicks. <laughs> These are our daughters. And we honor them and we love them. And this is a safe place, not a twisted, perverted place. This is a safe place. This is a place where in leadership we demand that we're living lives of integrity and transparency and honesty and not just putting titles on people. Because your heart matters and the purity of your heart matters to God. And I don't know about you, but I'm just hungry for a move of God that changes all of us. It takes us to a whole other level and to where this place becomes a magnet because God's presence and glory is here and there's hope for people. And I found this to be the case. I don't need to point out people's sin to them because sinners know they're sinners. What I need to do is hear their story and get into their lives and love them where they're at and invite them to experience more of the goodness of God. And so can I just encourage you here? Please bring all your messed up broken friends so they can join the party. 
Please bring the people that are addicted to all sorts of things that they're addicted to because most of those addictions, if not all, are coming from a place of brokenness and they're trying to figure it out. But I'm convinced of this. If they'll come, if they'll come, and if they'll worship, and if our worship team, I want to say to all of our worship leaders, you have an important job to keep your heart pure before God so that the anointing of the Lord can pour out of your heart and it's not just a sing-along. We're not here to do sing-alongs. We want the glory of the Lord attached to the words we're singing so that when we sing them, we get impacted by them. We're not just leading sing-alongs. That's not what we do in church. We've all been at those churches before where everybody's choreographed. (laughs) Stop it! That's never touched anybody. But listen, when we make our focus the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit shows up, we host him, people get rocked. And can I just tell you, I'm looking at Jeff and Melissa, great job. Way to let the Lord rock you. How many, how long have you been married now? 13, I love that. The man knows down to the month that you get extra credit. 13 months. Okay. When they came here, they were out of order. I said, yeah, we love you guys, but no, you can't be members, and no, you can't go on that missions trip. And Jeff got ticked. Who does this guy think he is telling me how to live my life? Can I just tell you guys? I have no desire to tell you how to live your life. I'm trying to live mine. But I do have a responsibility before God to tell you how God wants you to live your life. And that's different than Ron Johnson's opinion about your life. And so I love it because Jeff's initial tendency was to get offended and run. Can I just tell you why? Because most men are cowards. You can't handle the truth. But I'll tell you what, you handle the truth. And God picked up the pen of a story that had been hijacked, and now he's writing a love story. And I just want to say, big guy, I'm proud of you, man. You're still here. You're connected, growing. Final verse, Psalm 34, verse 5. This is our inheritance. Look at that. Those who look to him, Jesus, for help, will be radiant with joy, and no shadow of shame will darken their faces. That is a good promise. The church should be the most joy-filled place on the planet. Not fake joy. Hey, praise the Lord. No, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about genuine joy because we're not living in the shadow of shame. Because the shame's all been removed. Anybody with me on that? Come to the place where there's maximum joy and where people are going, wow, what is so special? I can't put my fingers on it. I just know when I come to God's gathering people, I experience the taste of heaven. And it's awesome. It's awesome. It's awesome. It's awesome. Stand to your feet. I want to pray with you this morning. I want our ministry team to come forward. Can we just open our hearts up to the Holy Spirit right now? Lord, this message is not one of condemnation, but it's an invitation to freedom. It's an invitation 
to run into your arms. I want you to picture that, that statue that was there in that hospital of Jesus just with his arms open wide. That's a beautiful image for this morning because that's what the Lord is doing right now. Come unto me, he says. Come unto me, all you who are weary. Those of you that are under all kinds of burdens. Those of you that are juggling balls, all kinds of balls, trying to deal with the anxiety. Jesus says, come, 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 come. Because he wants to heal us. So, Father, I just pray that you speak to us. And as we're on this journey, that, Lord, you begin peeling off the layers in our lives and helping us to get set free. I want to remind you all of Celebrate Recovery and Renovating You and the encounters coming up and life groups and, and all the myriad of ministries that are all dedicated to healing people's hearts. Let's be intentional about dealing with our own pain and our own shame and our own guilt. So, Father, give us the courage to act. Give us the courage to, to pursue you. Give us the courage to lay it all open before you and before brothers and sisters who love us. Father, thank you for what you're doing. I'm excited for this journey. I'm excited for what you're going to do. I pray blessing now on your people as we go our separate ways. We love you. We honor you. We pray this all in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Hey, if you're new, we'd love to connect with you. If you need prayer, come on down. All right. We'd love to pray with you. Have a great day.